Good morning. I got I to gotta share this story as we start. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Matt prayed for me just like that. And as um, soon as he said amen, I was like, now let's pray. And so I started praying. And after I got done, I'll be honest with you, in my mind, I'm like, man, that was a good prayer. And then Matt, Matt informs me after the uh, service. He goes, why'd you copy my prayer? <laughs> He's, I just prayed for you. And I was like, I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. I was getting focused. But good things are worth repeating, yes? All right. Uh, remember that today because today we're going to go over some things um, that we have before but hopefully bring some new life to it. Uh, we are in between. We're an in-between Sunday. We just finished our uh, buy-in series, went straight into Easter, and then last week had our post-Easter message that, that Mark gave, which we'll talk about in a second. And then next week, we start our new series called Prepare Ye the Way. And so um, we have this one Sunday today in between. I'm like, there's nothing scheduled for this day, which is great because that means I can talk about whatever I want. So that's a good thing, I hope. <laughs> I hope. You'll have to, you'll have to tell me. Um, last week, does anyone remember what Mark preached on last week? Perseverance. Yeah. Anybody else? That's huge. What? Endurance. There's another word he used. I'm looking for it. I have an agenda here. Sorry. Rejoice in suffering. That's right. It was Romans 5. And in verse 2, he says, through faith, by faith, we have access. Remember that word? And the whole premise of Mark's message was, how do we... How do we tap into that access when we don't feel God's presence in the midst of suffering, when we don't um, think he's there, even though we know he is, but we don't feel he is? And so Mark shared that story about the kid that got picked on in high school. Do you remember this? And um, these guys that were picking on him, this football player saw it happening, and he stood in the gap, and he said, "Um, I will protect you from now on. They're not going to bother you. And one day goes by, he gets picked on. No football player. The next day, no football player. But he had the hope. And that third day, he came and he cleaned house. Those guys picked on him no more (laughs) after this guy got his hands on him. All to say is that when we stand in God's grace, when we access who he is, when we step into that, what it does in the midst of suffering is that it builds perseverance, which builds character, which speaks hope. And so today, there are two things I want to talk about. The first will be that word access. What does that mean to us in a deeper way? And two, a word we've been using a lot around here over the last few months is the word authenticity. Heard that word from up here? Okay. And so um, I'd like at this time to uh, invite you to open your Bibles if you have them. If you have them on your phone, please get them out. If you have them on your iPad. If you don't have them, don't feel bad. Um, but we want to continue to practice bringing uh, the Word with us. It's important. Um, this is built on the Word of God. So we want to be in it and, and have it with us. And if you don't, find a neighbor that does and cuddle with them and kind of look over. And if you don't like the word cuddle, just slide over. Um, if some of you don't like your personal space being invaded. Okay. And today we're going to look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Most of us know this. 
Jesus says, ask, what is the greatest commandment? This will be our anchor text this morning. And what does he say? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And then what's the second part of that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I asked that in the first service, uh, there was a great definition for it, and I loved it. Uh, or not definition, but a great translation of it. Someone said, love the Lord your God with all you got, and love your neighbor with all you got. I like that, right? I mean, that sums it up, you know, because sometimes when I say love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your mind, your, well, how many are there? Love them with all you got, right? And so when we hear this passage, we've heard it. How many of you heard this a million times? Anybody? Okay. There's a reason why it's the most important commandment. So let's look at the word love. When God says, love, love me, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, what does that word mean? In Greek, it's the same word used in both. Okay? It's the word agapo, to love. Agape is love. Okay? And you see in 1 John, God is love, love is God. Right? You know that one? Okay? It's the same word being used. And so, to love God is to love him with all God. It's to give him everything. Because he has given us, what? Everything. Right? It's unconditional. Meaning, you don't have to be right to belong. You belong, and then God transforms you from the inside out. So he takes you as you are and pours his love upon you, invites you to step in to all that he has for you. That's what it means to have access. Now, because the same word used there is the same word used in love your neighbor. So if God gives himself, gives us complete access to his heart because he loves us, and we are to love him, which means we have to give him what? Complete what? Access to our hearts. So when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, what does that mean? It's the same love. We have to give one another what? Access. Ooh. We don't like that, do we? Some of us don't, right? It's a tough one. How many of you have been burnt on trust? Betrayed in some way, shape, or form. And so to give someone access to who you are is a scary, terrifying thing. For some, is it not? But yet, God calls us to love the same way He loves us. And that's very challenging to give someone access to our hearts, especially someone we don't know. We don't know if we can trust them, or someone that God has led us to forgive and we've forgiven them. And we're still called to give them access. And I'm not talking about reckless access. You understand what I mean by that? But giving them a glimpse of who you are. To be known. Allow yourself to be known. Because God has made himself what? Known to us. And we are to make ourselves known to him. Now he knows everything about us. But he doesn't force himself on you. He wants you to invite him in. Right? He wants you to want to be known by him. And so when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, 
love them with all you got, it's to give them that kind of access. But sometimes when you hear, love my neighbors, I love myself, some of us don't like who we are, right? And if we live by that, then the people around us aren't going to be treated too well either. But that's because we haven't fully received the first commandment. Because if we are to love the Lord our God with, all our, with everything we got, it's because we understand this one thing. And I want you to hear this. We say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again because before we can go any further, you have to know this. You are deeply, deeply, deeper than the oceans, deeply loved. Period. Secondly, very similar, you are deeply, deeply, deeper than the ocean, deeply valued. And this is a tough one because sometimes the people around us don't really uh, treat us as if we're valued, right? You know, we live in a culture where when you say Christian, it has a different meaning to many different people. Because people don't have a problem with Jesus, they have a problem with the people that represent Jesus. Because we don't know how to hold the tension between condemning and condoning. We think it's our job, right? So we've done a lot of terrible things in the name of Jesus, as well as a lot of good things. But we haven't understood how to receive God's love and grace and have access to his heart in such a way that we can reflect that same kind of love and grace in someone else. Because if we want to talk about being authentic, no one's going to be authentic in a place they don't feel safe. So we have to continue to be with God in a way that we fully receive what he has for us. We can access who he is because I can't find out about John if I never spend time with John, can I? I can find out what people say about him, but that's gossip. And it may not be true, it might. The only way I can do that is being in his presence. So I have to be with, or we call it abide, we have to be there with him. And then we have to show other people how to do that as well. Now, if you turn to Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. Many of us know this. Even if you don't know it intimately, you've heard of it in our culture because anytime someone, you, you read in the news, a situation, a robbery's happened at a grocery store and someone saw the robber and they stopped them, we call them a what? A good Samaritan, don't we? Someone unrelated to an issue comes in and helps resolve it, they're a good Samaritan. Well, in Mark, excuse me, Luke chapter 10, Jesus shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he's asked the same question, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, you know, love the Lord your God, we'll do it the way we say it, with all you got, and love your neighbor as yourself with all you got, right? And he gives a story on what that looks like. And here you have a man who's beaten almost to death on the road, and, and religious leaders, people that would probably consult, call themselves in those times equivalent to a Christian, are going to the other side of the road, 
and not even paying attention to this guy. Because according to their laws, if they touch that guy, they're unclean. And that's a whole process of, of other ritual stuff. And that person socially is beneath them. But here comes a Samaritan who sees this person. He sees, that's a key thing, and goes to him. Now, when Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of Jews, you have to understand that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Jews more so, because Samaritans were half-bloods. They weren't pure. It almost sounds like one of those vampire movies out, right? They're not pure Jewish. And so they get outcasted. So now here's a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, because at this point, that's what he is to them. He's a Jewish rabbi who is telling a story where the hero is a Samaritan and he's endorsing it. Now, what would, how would you feel about that if you're one of the religious leaders? Whoa, this is insane. This is not right. But it's not, when we look at this story, it's not about the fact that this guy helped this man, the Samaritan helped this man. It was how he helped him. That's the key to this. How he helped him. Starting verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him. First thing, he what? He saw him. He didn't ignore him. And he went to him. He was intentional. He went to him. And he bandaged him, which means he had to touch blood and all this other stuff. So now the Jews hearing this were like, Ugh. what is he doing? He was bandaging his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. So he went without the luxury of having someone else do the traveling for him. And he put this guy he does not know, who's half dead, on his own donkey. took him to an inn and took care of him. Now, the word took is used three or four times in this passage, and it's a, it's a powerful word because it talks about intentionality. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, and what he gave him was about two months' worth of wages. How many of you would be totally okay with giving up two months of your wages for someone you don't know laying in the street? after you already bandaged him and took care of him. Some of it, you might. The majority of people out there probably wouldn't. I, I mean, let's be real. That's a lot of money. He took these two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, not if, no matter if he was good or not, he was going to return, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This guy went above and beyond. What we see here is what Jesus hopes we see, I believe. That when we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, it means to give them access to who we are and to our resources. This man freely gave up his resources so that this person he doesn't know could receive care. And that terrifies us. When we talk about giving someone access to us, first off, we want to be able to trust them. But oftentimes, 
God is going to call you into a place where you're to share your story, your testimony of how he's broken into your life, whether you trust him or not. Because if God wants to speak in you and through you, he's going to speak in you and through you. And we want to allow him to do that. But we have to give people access. Now, again, I'm not talking about irresponsible access. I'm not giving anyone my, my bank accounts or, you know, my address necessarily or this or that. But when it comes to issues of the heart, am I giving them access? Am I giving them access to resources that if I believe in Jesus are God's anyway? Given to me to bless others as he blesses me. So this is a tremendous story of what it truly means to love. Because we see that when we were broken, then when we were dying in sin, God what? He gave us access to everything he is through his death and resurrection. And he took care of us. He cleaned us. He paid the debt. It was done. And that's what we see in this story. How we are to treat one another. And one of my favorite passages, but one of the saddest ones to me, is in Mark 10. And I'll just briefly run through it. Where we have Jesus, who's encountered by a rich young ruler. Many of us know the story. And the rich young ruler says, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, have you done this, 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 and this? And the guy goes, yeah, man, I've done all that. And then he says, one thing you lack. Go sell your stuff and give it to the poor and come follow me. And at that moment, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And it's that same type of love. It's that same agape love. Now, many have said Jesus knew the guy's heart and what he was going to do and said he loved him. You, You hear this, he loved him, and you almost translate it like a pity kind of love. But I would argue that regardless regardless of what the guy was going to do, in this story, Jesus illustrates his unconditional love that he belonged first. He was loved first. And then he said, follow me, and, and basically you will be transformed. And then he says how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God because the guy rejected the offer and the invitation, which is sad to me. It really is. And he said, sell your stuff because you'll have treasure in heaven. And so often we think that Jesus will lead us to more treasure in heaven, right? I mean, you heard the streets of gold, you hear all this stuff, you see this imagery and you think, ooh, I'm going to get stuff. For me, I mean, I'm excited for this potluck and please bring your best because I am a foodie and can be a food snob sometimes and I, I'm trying to repent of that. And so I'm looking forward to the banqueting table in heaven, man. I'm looking for my Philly cheesesteak. I'm looking for a bunch of different things. But here's the deal. We think that this is going to lead us. He's going to lead us to so much other stuff. But guess what? If you look closely, he is the treasure. And what he illustrates here, what he communicates is that you follow me. You be with me. You're going to be with me forever. And I am your treasure, which means store it up, baby. Come with me. Because the blessings are going to overflow as you are with me, as you are with me. And this guy misses it. And the disciples go, man, I mean, how can all this happen? And Jesus says, this 
is impossible for man to do. It's impossible. But for God, all things are possible. All of it. So he gives you access to the impossible. And we've all seen something that we would call impossible happen in our lives. Don't we? We've seen things that we can't explain. But guess what? God calls us to live in him in such a way where everything we see and do that may seem impossible to the world is possible for us because we live with him and in him. And we have access to all the good stuff because you have given, you lack nothing. I talk to my dad about this a, a lot, and he's, he's actually here. My parents, hey. They're like sitting in the back. Don't want to be noticed. I'm just kidding, but I'm waving at him. And he has a phrase I like. He says, you know, when you go to the dealership and you got a good chunk of money, you're like, you know what? I'm going to get a car that's what? Fully loaded. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness, and yet as Christians we we live like we're lacking something. And when Jesus says, I've given you access to me, by faith you have access to the grace, that means you're now what? Fully loaded. You don't lack anything. You have access to everything that makes everything possible. Because you're living with the God where only through him and in him things are possible. That's the access. And unless we do that, how can we be authentic with one another? Authenticity is a challenging thing because it means being vulnerable. It means allowing ourselves to share, be heard, uh, going through deep emotional trauma to get healing so that we can be the people God has called us to be, so that we can receive wholeness in Him. And it's hard. I know, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I, I shared a few weeks ago, I'm going through inner healing stuff about some sexual assaults that happened in my life that I felt like I had no control over, and it damaged me for a long time. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be there. I've given you access to my healing, to my heart, but you're afraid to be vulnerable and authentic because you experience great shame. And God has freed me from that shame. He has freed me from that guilt. That's what he does. But we have to receive it. And so I've been going through a process where God has been breaking that stuff, and it's been great, and I've been receiving wholeness in my life for the first time in a long time. And I can be more and more authentic about it. I can say it with you. Three years ago, I couldn't say it to anybody. But now I can say it with you because God has called us to not be a church building, but an authentic community that's founded in the name of Jesus Christ, that lives in him and through him, that goes where he goes, because we never want to be away from his presence. I hope when people walk through those doors that have never been here before, will leave going, man, I just walked into an authentic, loving community. Who cares about the walls? I don't care about the building. I care about what God is doing in our hearts so that we can see the least of these. See them. Now, here's my real favorite passage in Scripture. (laughs) I got a lot of them. Peter and John coming down the mountain, going to the temple. They're outside the, ba- the gate, beautiful. Many of you heard this, I'm sure. And there's a crippled man. 
and he starts begging them for money. But the scripture tells us the man does not look at them because no one looks at him. He is beneath the worst socially in that culture. And what's so beautiful is that when Peter comes to him, now, he goes to him. He sees him, and he goes to him, and he says to the man, look at us. Look. We see you. Look at us. One of the most intimate things you can do is make eye contact. That's why a lot of people don't like it. Because it's, you're holding someone's gaze. And there are parts of you that can be known with eye contact. And I'm not talking the kind where I'm looking at Matt and I'm just looking at his nose so it looks like I'm looking at his eyes, but I'm really thinking about what I'm going to eat later. Right? <laughs> at the potluck. Right? I'm talking about where he sees that I'm with him. Because it communicates something, doesn't it? And Peter knows this. Peter wanted to give this man the kind of access and authenticity of his own heart that Christ gave to him. Now, when we look at the, the passage where Jesus walks on water, we give a lot of credit to Peter for getting out of the boat, right? He sees Jesus walking on water, and then he got out of the boat, and we say, man, great faith moment. Well, that's true, but there are other things that happened in that event as well. Why did Peter sink? He took, say it louder. He took his eyes off Jesus. He broke the gaze and he learned from it. He learned from it. Because in this moment, he says, I'm not looking away this time. I see you the way God sees me. And he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. The greatest gift. And he heals him, but that wasn't the greatest gift. It was the name in which he healed him was the greatest gift. And I believe, even though we don't hear about him later too much, but it transformed his life. Guess what? You were those people. And I'm going to brag on you for a second. Is that okay? How many are not good at receiving things? Raise your hand. Like a gift, especially unexpected, just because... And then you feel like you've got to give them something. And then now you're resentful because you feel obligated to give them something because they gave you something. Yes? Which is why we think we need to earn God's love and grace. Just to let you know. But I want you to receive this. Because I've been paying attention to what God's doing here in our people. And our staff has been paying attention to what God is doing here in our people. And I feel like we're going through a neat season, a challenging one, but a deep one where God is speaking this word of abiding so that we can be authentic, so that we can have full access and take advantage of that full access. And sometimes that access can be abused. Right? We can, and before I brag on you, I want to share this real quick. When I was in college and I first got diabetes, um, I didn't know how to cope with my new diet restrictions. It was, it was not fun at all, actually, because I just told you I'm a foodie. I appreciate every bite, okay? It's a great experience when it's good. And I, I, so I'm eating three balanced meals a day. I've never done that before. You know, I, for right or wrong, I'd have like a candy bar and Coke for breakfast or something really bad, you know? And now I'm eating like soy dogs and 
veggie cheese and any, it was like gross. For those of you that like it, God bless you. But for me, it was bad. And I'm like, Lord, how do I cope with this? I need access to another way. And then I found a loophole. Now I've repented of this, okay? So do not hold this over me, all right? I do not do this anymore, all right? But I realized if I gave myself, I'm afraid to confess this in front of my folks. Um, (laughs) But if I gave myself a little bit more insulin, my sugar would go down and I would need sugar. (laughs) And all the guys on my floor had the greatest snack stashes you can imagine. And when you're starved for snacks, even the bad ones seem amazing. And I had a, my neighbor, or the guy next to me, he had this, like, shelf committed to donuts. Donuts, 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 donuts. And all I'm seeing when I go to bed is donuts. How do I get to them? How do I get in there? And I realize if I have a sugar low, what are they going to do? No, die. Maybe now after hearing this story, they might go back and say that. But I said, guys, I'm still getting used to this, this sugar loaf thing. Can I, I need something. Would you, what, what do you need? What do you need? They're panicked. I said, ah, hmm. I mean, oh. <laughs> Maybe one of those. You want a donut? And I said, yeah, I might need two. <laughs> Here, have a donut. Oh, I think I need milk. And I would go a couple of times a month. You don't want to do it too much because then they get it. But then the Lord convicted my heart. That's, that's abuse. You see that? But back to the bragging on you. I got to, um, you guys remember Mike Bradley? He's one of our advisory board members. He's the director of Alliance of Renewal Churches, which is a church network that does this. That, that shares life together. That walks alongside each other and, and holds each other accountable. And um, when there's a church in need, the leadership of the ARC will go, and I'm on the national leadership team, and we'll help walk alongside churches in any issues they may have to support. And so I was asked to go down to Nebraska a couple weeks ago because there's a church going through the same transition we did. Longtime pastor passing it over to the new guy. And so I was asked to come in and help bring any consultation I could And I'll tell you, when you have something like that to contrast with your own situation, it can be really positive or really discouraging. And let me tell you, it was so positive. I mean, we we handled the transition, I think, really well. There are areas we handled poorly, but there are more areas that we handled well. And we watched God bless. And we were with their leadership team for eight hours. And what they lacked was something that we worked hard to gain here as a staff and as a leadership team, and that's authenticity. They didn't know who to believe or how to make a decision because they were divided because they didn't know how in that moment to be vulnerable, to be open, say, this is my stuff. Here's why I may not want to do this decision because it it makes me look foolish or this or that or this or that. And so we walked them through a process and we just, I got to share for two hours what God's doing here at Bridgewood. Not just the transition, but what he's doing. How he's trying to make us authentic community. That when they see someone come in, they don't wait for the greeters to say hi to them. We go after them and want to meet them and know them. And by the end, you had these guys crying. 
because they wanted that. And you allowed that to happen. Your faithfulness to say, God, what are you doing here? And roll with it. Is why a lot of that happened. You being authentic with us and the process we went through. And so I thought, man, Lord, this is just really confirming that this is where you want us to continue to hit is this authenticity because we can keep doing better. And God wants to grow us in that. And then I went to Southern California to another church. And, and we were planning with this church for a big event later in the summer, but I was familiar with the people and, and the people on staff there, and you looked at them, and it was like, you knew there were good things going on, but there was something in the way. There was something in the way. And so I started asking questions individually. And you know what the number one thing was? We don't know how to be real and authentic with each other. So it creates a divide. <sighs> I'm in. You got to pay attention to that stuff. When you ask the Lord, what are you doing here, Lord? And you see this over and over and over and over again. What do you think he's saying for us here? We got to be authentic. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. We, he's given us access to healing. He's given us access to courage, to discernment, the gifts of the Spirit. He's given us everything that we need, but we have to learn how to use them. And sometimes that means saying we don't know what to do here, which means you have to be honest and authentic about it. Because we don't show up here as final products. Quite the contrary. There are a lot of people here that are broken and are hurting, and we have to be a safe place for one another so that we can walk alongside each other in the way the Samaritan did with that guy and be with each other while we're receiving healing. We have to be a safe place. Because remember, people don't really have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the people that represent them because we don't know how to do it. And it's hard. I was watching a, and this is a great example, I was watching a guy, a speaker, some mega church, and listening to him preach, and I'm sitting there diagnosing the entire thing, you know? And uh, as preachers, we do that, and then we go through that, you know, that rabbit hole of despair of, man, I'm not as good as him, right? You know, that selfish stuff. But at the end of the day, I wanted to find out more about this guy, so I started uh, YouTubing more stuff, and then you saw... Christians who hate this guy and they use hate language. He's going to hell. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I'm going, oh my gosh, these are Christians who think they're right and this person's wrong and they're using all this language. Hate, 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 hate. Because we haven't learned, we have not learned how to hold the tension in the way Jesus did of not condemning someone and not condoning. It's not our job. Jesus does that. We are to do what he commanded us to do, to love him with all we got and love one another with all he has. I can't fix you. God can fix you. I can help lead you his direction. I can walk with you. I can be a soundboard. I can pray into your life. God can give me things to give to you, but it's him doing it. One of the things that's killing churches around here is gossip. I know a lot of churches around here that are falling apart because people within the congregation are divided because they're talking trash behind the backs. They're not praying for the leadership. They're not doing this. They're just talking trash, and they think they're righteous. They picked the wrong fight. Our fight is to let go of our stuff and give it to him so that he can do whatever he wants to do in us so he can do whatever he wants to do through us. 
Our fight is to let go and receive. I can't sit here and go, I'm going to change rich because I'm right, I'm right and he's wrong. That's not how it goes. But I can stand with him in his pain. I can love him. I can say, hey, this was encouraging for me in the word. I give it to you. Test it. And I can share my story. You know, that authenticity is so important because if you don't have it, you can't really share your story. And your story is one of the most powerful weapons you have because it's, it's an invitation for other people to see how Jesus broke into your life and changed it. And if we're not authentic with one another in this place, how are we going to do it with someone we don't even know? When God says, share your story. We'll have to be vulnerable. We'll have to... That's true, you do. And they may abuse that trust. But people need to know about the, the name you carry, the name that transforms, the name that says you belong before you have to behave, that says, I see you, look at me. Being seen is so important to us, isn't it? We want to be seen. We want to be known. But we are. We are known. Does this make sense? Okay, good. Because we're going to bang this drum a lot. Because as we go through the core values of this place over the next few months, we cannot do the real good work if we are not trusting him, if we are not allowing him to have access to us and people to have access to us, if we're not being authentic, if we're not abiding in him, if we're not being with him, we're going to have trouble. And as I said from the beginning, most good things are worth what? Repeating. And so we're going to repeat this until you're sick of it. And maybe it'll sink in for us. Right? But this is key. It's central. Be with him. Be with him. Be honest with him. Open up to him. And you'll be able to do that with, it, with other people. And people will begin to see you. I mean, I'm going, to, I'm going to end with this. God gave me a charge. I've said this before, but again, I'm going to repeat it. That if I was to ever come up and preach, I had to share my stuff. I've seen too many pastors go down because they don't share their stuff. I've seen too many leaders go down because they don't let people in. And it's hard. It's not fun. I don't like sharing my baggage with everyone. And I'm not saying, you know, be like me or this or that. But that was the charge I got. Because you have to, I have to, you have to know me to trust me. Is that not true? And so other people, if they're going to, you have to make yourself known. And it, it feels risky. But if you're going where he's going, you got everything you need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. It's so hard to stand in your grace sometimes because of the things around us. And we've got to understand that our circumstances don't define us. You define us. You are our, our grace. You are our, our identity. And so, Lord, we, we ask now in the name of Jesus that we would continue, continue to posture ourselves in such a way we're ready to receive all that you have for us so that we can receive it and pour it out into others so that we can make ourselves known to the people around us so that we can be authentic and vulnerable, so that they can be authentic and vulnerable. 
that invitation of just sharing who we are invites people to share who they are. Because it means we're, we're taking, in their eyes, a risk. And sharing our story is one of the most powerful things we can do because it talks about your redemptive power, your healing, and your love, and your grace, and your mercy. So we just pray, God, that our lives reflect that in Jesus' name. That when people walk into Bridgewood Community Church, they're walking into authentic Jesus community. We thank you, Lord, that you show us the way. Lord, I pray that when people experience what you're doing here, it redefines the stereotypes of Christ follower and Christian. That it becomes a blessing to hear and not a curse because we are representing truly who you are, your love. Which doesn't say you have to behave to belong, but that we belong with you and that you give us a choice to be with you. So we thank you for that. Show us how to give people access to our resources, who we are. And Lord, I ask in that spirit, we would, um, through your Holy Spirit, we would, as we come before you to give our tithes and our offerings, we continue to ask, Lord, what, what needs to go in that, that plate? In addition to what you're calling us to financially, what is it relationally, time-wise? What are the things that I need to give to you, that I need to surrender to you? We have to give you access to who we are as you've given us access to who you are. So everything we have is yours. Everything we have is yours, Lord. So I pray against the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. Pray against the spirit of shame in Jesus' name and guilt and that you begin to speak life, healing, and wholeness into those places. And so we bring all these things to you for your kingdom and for your glory to do what you will. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.